I'm Jess. And I'm George. And I'm the Jesus friend. And I'm the lawyer friend. And this is Transpantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that happens between them. Do you see me looking at you like, I hope I remember the words? (laughs) (laughs) Good job. Good job. Oh, and we are having a conversation today about male privilege, something the three of you have been privy to, and I get to watch it happen. (laughs) It's weird as fuck. (laughs) So I think before you got here, we were having a conversation about exactly what does that mean? Because lawyer guy here. I want a definition. What do you mean by male privilege? What does that mean? What are we talking about? That was your question for us. You had some more specific possibilities. I think it could mean a couple different things. It could mean simply being treated differently, but I don't know that that's necessarily privilege. Being treated differently in a way that gets you something, a benefit from society that you wouldn't get otherwise is how I would define male privilege, but it obviously or or potentially could involve more than that, I suppose. Right. I think it's where there's, there's a class of people that have automatic trust, automatic rights, automatic um, right to not be questioned that other people in society as a class don't enjoy. And so to then bring that back to your definition, lawyer friend, the sense of what benefit or what gain is to be had from that, a lot of times it's just the lack of daily aggravation that allows you to devote more of your mental and emotional resources to obtaining whatever it is that's going to make you happy in life, status, finances, or other. I think I would agree with that. Of course, I, I, I'm I'm trying to take my lawyer hat off and just be a regular human being, but it's hard these days. <laughs> your hair will um. still be shaped like that. <laughs> <laughs> His brain will still be shaped I, like that. I noticed that when we started talking earlier that you have the lawyer hat on, and I certainly have the same hat on that, that I went to school for. So. so who would like to start with their first example of dealing with or interacting with or being benefited by male privilege? I can start with a brief one. I was um, About 10 years ago, I was applying for a job in a government agency that had just been created. It was a management job. It involved a higher average pay than one usually sees in the mental health field and a lot of responsibility. In the mental health field and in a government agency yes, in the mental health field. Yes. I applied for the job and they told me that it came down to two candidates who were equally qualified and who both had the same level of experience, who both interviewed just as well for the job. And they wanted to do second interviews with those, just those two candidates. One was me and one was a woman. And I knew before the second interview that I had the job simply because I was a male given that all other things that were equal. What did you think of it at that time? I mean, some water has gone under the bridge, and now you're sitting here with two trans guys and my genderqueer wife. So, you know, this is a different different perspective. What did you think then about the fact that you knew you'd get that job? I was glad that I got the job because I wanted the job. It felt strange at the time that it was so automatic that I knew that the job was mine before I walked into the interview. And it just felt strange. Um, and of course, I felt a little bit guilty that I was going to win the job simply because I was born into a male body 
and that the other candidate was not going to get the job simply because she was born into a female body and she was competing against a male. How do you think you came to that awareness that this is what was going to happen? Because I don't think that most guys like yourself, you know, in the position of the time period you grew up in, you know, you're a taller white guy, a straight guy, and... um, You have a shit ton of privilege and you are really aware of it now, but... Most guys are not. There were two factors that, that prepared me for, for knowing that I had that job. One was I read a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. And in that, he talks about actually height privilege, that taller people are afforded uh, more privilege than shorter people. And so that was one of the things that, that informed my thinking going into that interview. But secondly, even though I'm a Jesus person, um, the organization that I've been involved with for the past 30-plus years has historically pressed very courageously into issues of diversity. And as we have done that, we have been forced to face issues of privilege and racism within our own cultures and subcultures. And sometimes those, those interactions have been very painful and filled with conflict where white members of the organization had to answer some pretty difficult questions from our members of color um, about our behavior and about our assumptions. You know, for example, you would have a large group discussion on the issue of racial reconciliation, and after a couple of hours, white members of the group would say, well, okay, you know, it's time to take a break and it's time to go to bed or something like this. And the people that were there that were people of color would feel, well, angry. And they would say, you have the luxury of leaving this conversation. We never do. And those kinds of painful conversations helped me be a little more courageous about looking at privilege as a tall, straight, white male. And that gives me just about every privilege that our culture affords. So I know we're going to talk about a couple more Examples of that for me and our lawyer friend as well. But you you mentioned to me the other day that it will be interesting for you to have now two guy two trans guys input on the change in our privilege status. And we were just talking a little while ago about the same thing. It'll be just as interesting for us to have your input on the same. What do you think about what we've noticed? The thing that that continues to just hit me over and over again is how unaware we we must be, actually, if we're male or tall or white or straight. We automatically enjoy the benefits of being members of those groups. And because it's automatic and because we've never known anything different, because we've never experienced as a male what it's like to be a female, as a white person what it's like to be a person of color, etc., we're just simply unaware. And so as I've listened to your experience, it's a strange feeling because I feel surprised and shocked and troubled by the stark difference in the experience between a male member of our society and a female member of our society. The differences are many and they are significant. And as a tall, straight, white male, I was simply unaware Mm-hmm. Of right. the daily, as as Jess was saying, the daily struggle just to survive, just to go about your life, just to be allowed to have an unquestioned conversation with someone, or to be allowed to well, not wear makeup and not be considered angry, or something like that. 
It's crazy. It is. And so it's really good that you're now aware of that and able to, as I've seen you now, work from that place of privilege to do what is presented to you to work as an advocate on behalf of underrepresented and discriminated minorities. And you can do the same thing there and and likely are going to do that, that you did for the person of color that worked with us when you would go to meetings with her at the office and represent the same things she just said. And everybody would listen to you when they weren't even hearing her voice. And you can do the same thing as a tall, straight, white guy with other tall, straight, white guys who you talk to and are in circles that that our lawyer friend and Jess and I are are never likely to be in the circles of. I was a mental health manager in a government agency that had the power to remove people's children from their custody. And we were tasked with providing therapy services toward the goal of helping families stay together. If we would get a referral for a non-white client, the descriptions of those clients' attitudes and behaviors was often different than the white clients. And we got a referral of a Latina mom, and she was described as not caring about her children, as being a liar, as being manipulative, and not working her case plan. I assigned our Latina therapist to the case, and within the first few minutes of the interview with this Latina mother, whose children were in foster care, she found out that none of those descriptions were even close to accurate. And we discovered that the well-meaning young white caseworker had grossly misinterpreted this Latina's behavior and attitudes. And we didn't hold it against her at all. We understood that it was an honest mistake given that she was white and that she was young. And so we set up a meeting with her supervisor and her to go over the case and talk about how we could work with this Latina mom in light of how she was actually feeling um, in regard to her case plan and her parenthood. And when we started the meeting, it was me Uh, my Latina therapist, the social worker, and her supervisor, I asked uh, my therapist to describe what had happened and um, where the miscommunications were in in the case between the mother and the caseworker. And over the course of a few minutes, as my worker described what had happened, she had eye contact with the other two people in the room, and they listened politely to her. Now, it should be noted that these two people in the room were professionals. They were not racist. They would not identify themselves as racist. We would enjoy having our children play with their children. Um, These were two people that you would like who were doing their level best to do a good job and do right by children and their parents. These were fine individuals who had made a gross error. They were blind to their own... Yes, They didn't even realize that they were discounting your Mm -hmm. therapist. They didn't, and or this Latina mother. And even though they they might have even had, in social work school, they might have even had maybe entire classes or workshops on cultural competence, they um, were still rendered completely culturally incompetent by a number of factors. And so as they listened politely... I could tell that they were not really hearing what my worker was saying because she is Latina, 
She's darkly complected. She has a great deal of indigenous blood, and so she bears that appearance. She has very thick features. She's yes. very smart. She used to say uh, she was uh, used to always being perceived as... Um, Indian Maria. Um, Indian Maria. Yes. Yes. And I this didn't know what her... that was. I had to look yeah. it up. Yes. But that was her experience in life. Yes. And if she if she ever tried to be assertive um, about what she absolutely knew about a case, she was perceived as aggressive, mm-hmm. as angry, as having an agenda or an extra grind. It was very difficult for her to work for justice for our clients because she herself was perceived in that way. So what happened in this meeting was my worker described what had happened, and I, as carefully as I could, tried to um, remember her words, how she described the case, how she described what had happened between the worker and the mother. And after she finished talking and there was no response, I started talking to this worker and the supervisor, and I tried to use my worker's words. I tried to say exactly the same thing that she did as best as I could. And from the moment I began talking, the responses were I was getting these huge nods, wide-eyed responses. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we did that. I'm so, I feel so bad about having treated this woman this way. Thank you for explaining it. Thank you very much. We we will certainly change our posture toward this this client. And um, but they were very grateful and they were they were remorseful. And all you did was echo what your worker had said. Yes, yes. I simply echoed what she said as a white male. So this is this is how I see it. In the sense that you do find yourself in circles of other tall white guys, straight white guys, who I'm probably never going to hang out with. And you will have that influence because you are aware. We had another case of a, of a Latino man who was a single parent of 12 children. And um, because he had... Poor guy. <laughs> yes, because he had children and 12 children, because he was overwhelmed, because he worked in a restaurant job where he didn't make a lot of money. The host of white people around his children, teachers and other people, concluded that he was an unfit father and that his children should be rescued from his care and placed in foster care, most likely separated into white foster homes. Separated because there were so many of them. Yes. Nobody wanted to foster 12 kids at once. And nobody's probably licensed for that. No. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Let alone. Damn. Want to. (laughs) I went to meeting after meeting after meeting with um, the people that were responsible for case management of that case and asked over and over and over again, in what ways does this parent present an unsafe home? In what ways is he abusive? In what ways does he neglect his children? In what ways does he merit having his children removed from his care? Was this also our co- my co-worker's client? Yes, okay. yes. And we had to attend meetings for six months before the attitude toward the case was finally changed and um, he was provided resources rather than legal action against him. People are stupid. People are not stupid, but they are ignorant. You're much more charitable than I. (laughs) I just have to say that as a lawyer, that scares the bejesus out of me. You hear things like this every now and then about how ingrained in our legal system these things are and how judges react differently to defendants of color versus white people. And the story that you just told when you're talking about starting the process of taking someone's children away, essentially based on 
And like you said, the, the thing that's almost more scary about it is these are good people trying to do the best that they can, but yet it's so ingrained, they don't even realize it themselves. That makes it even more scary to me because it makes it so much more difficult to stop the overt racism. That's easy. You know, we, we already have things to deal with that. Teenager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably coming down to do his <laughs> evening chores. Hey, hey, teenager. He's trying to be quiet. He is trying to be quiet. But um, are you are you getting ready to do your chores and such? Can you save dishes and any kitchen chores for the morning? All right then. Then you can. Don't you feel happy? <laughs> save those for the morning, please, because otherwise it'll make background noise. I appreciate your alterations to your schedule on our behalf. Thank you. After a couple of years, I I, I would always say, you know, if you were if you were a black person, so say, say, save it, save no. it till we are done hearing his feet steps going up the stairs, which we probably won't hear because he's pretty good at walking quiet. He walks walks like you do. I had to learn to walk like that. The noisiest person in the house is our number three child, who is also the smallest person in the house. The smallest? She sounds like an elephant. I've heard of elephants. (laughs) That is how how I used to walk when I was little, though. Jess will come up behind me and startle the crap out of me because I'd never heard her coming. Oh yeah. yeah so. But I yeah. had to t- train myself to walk like that, and I, I'm probably not going to cut this because here's another example of privilege. If I were a dude stomping around, nobody would question it. But because I was a chick stomping around in middle and high school, and people were like, "What the heck is wrong with the way Why you walk? So Why are you so mad? What is wrong with your feet? You never learn how to walk right." What is up with that? I trained myself to walk more quietly, and I didn't think of it as a gendered thing at the time. Why can't you act like a lady? Right. And see, that's the thing. Nobody ever told me ladylike. They just said, what is wrong with your walk? That's what they meant, though. Oh, and yeah. I didn't realize it because I am so oblivious to gender. I didn't even think about the fact that it was unladylike. I just right. thought, okay, if I want to get by in culture that I'm yeah. stuck in, then I guess I should learn how to step without making sounds. I'm not allowed to make my presence known quite so much as it wants to make itself known. Well, and what is, it does astonish me with our youngest child because she is the smallest person. Mm-hmm. I do ask her to stop on occasion, mostly because the second floor, she's up there jumping or something, which is more a jumping kid thing than it is a person of her size stomping around thing. Mm-hmm. But the light fixture in, in the ceiling right below that, rattles the whole time. Like, hey, 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 stop that, please. Before the light falls out of the yeah, ceiling. Yeah, it falls out right. of the ceiling. You don't know how to fix that yet. You have to do it, so stop. Yeah. Before we have to call an engineer to fix the structural damage to the house. Uh, yeah. So, I don't have any idea if you remember what you were going to say. Now that we've interrupted you. Oh, you, oh. You, have, you were responding to it in terms of the legal system. I was system. talking about the legal system because yeah. I, don't, I don't deal with kids either personally or professionally. So... I had some colleagues that, (laughs) yeah, I had some colleagues that were in that line of work. And I remember working with other people slightly about it. So that's, that's a perspective that is really sort of eye opening. I guess you ought to assume that it happens. I don't know why I never, I just never thought about it before, I guess. It's that childless privilege. The childless privilege. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It totally is. Who has another story about, did, did you ever deal with in your courses or in your employment dealing with that sort of somebody else is going to say what I said and they're going to get the credit for it? Or all those things that like when you were just trying to be just a person 
and then you'd get told, don't do that, it's not ladylike, or don't do that, it's not appropriate, or... I was never told, don't do that, it's not appropriate. I remember one particular time was pretty funny, because it happened in a deposition, and it was actually on the record, is I was taking a deposition... It was actually a sexual harassment case, and there was this was pre this was pre transition. So I'm presenting as female, and there was a male lawyer that was defending a co defendant in the same case, and we were taking the deposition of the plaintiff who was female. And the male lawyer gets done with his part of the deposition, and I remember it's funny to think about it. It's funny even at the time, I you know, kind of picked up my stuff to move closer to the court reporter and closer to the microphone. And instead of saying, hey, Frank, move it, I say to the court reporter, would it help if I get closer to the microphone so that you can... And Frank, the male attorney, actually called me out on it. And he said, would you look at, listen to how nice and polite that was and everything. Instead of saying, hey, move your ass. (laughs) (laughs) And we all had a good laugh about it. And it's hilarious because it's in the deposition transcript. But I really realized at that time, I was like, well, holy crap, you know, because Hmm. being conditioned to not speak directly to somebody, hey, move, I need to sit next to the microphone. You know, you do it indirectly by asking the court reporter, would it help if I did this? Would that be helpful to you? And that kind of thing. And so I I remember that one in particular was pretty... Do you think you would approach it differently now? Absolutely. What would you do? Hey, Frank, move your ass. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he would take it from you. And and he would. Yes, he would. Whereas, you know, if I say, hey, move your ass... Then it's a problem. It would be a problem. It totally would. Well, and I think we can come up with a, a lot of stories of this, but one of the differences, which is probably along the lines of male privileges in those interactions of what males can say and what females can say. I noticed that even the neighbor guy, you know, next door comes out and my wife is there and he says something polite to her and I'm shoveling snow and he gives me crap right away. <laughs> in, in a jest, jesting way, he would never give her crap, but he just gives me, hey, why don't you turn on the heat lamp so you don't have to shovel? Right. That kind of stuff. And... uh Male society. Yeah. And having not grown up in that male society, I'm getting used to that. Like, it's comfortable for me. It seems familiar, but I'm not used to it because I didn't get to participate before. So I'm always kind of stunned and like, what do I say to that? Because I, like I I haven't participated in this before. So I don't have a comeback. I don't have a... I've experienced exactly the same thing because you're right. We don't get that conditioning and you don't get the... And I've watched other guys do it. I played on an all-male hockey team as before transition even. And it was funny to watch them interact with each other, especially when they didn't know I was there. Because there was a lot of that going on. But if you don't get to do it, you kind of – it's a skill almost that you have to learn. And I remember the plumber came over to fix my toilet that I accidentally broke. And he asked me for a a wrench and I didn't have one the size. He said, oh, you don't have one that big, huh? And I kind of looked at him. He's like, yeah, I show up in 30 seconds. I'm making small dick jokes. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So that absolutely happens all the time. It's funny you mention that because I've experienced exactly the the same thing. And I don't know. It's not – a male privilege thing necessarily. It's definitely a difference in treatment because I have definitely experienced that men treat you differently, much, much differently and act differently around females than around when they're just with other men. Does that would... mess with your head that you get treated so differently? And... It's, it's astounding actually. And it is amazing. You may not it is. consider wow. that privilege, but I totally would because for me that feels normal and natural to be, you know, cracking dick jokes and shit like that. 
And I have a couple guy friends at work who mostly treat me just like one of the guys. And um, I've told George about this one guy, our custodian, a couple times. You know, they'll say, Tavo, to the office. Tavo, to the office. Gustavo, come to the office now on the PA system like three times in a row right after school. And he's walking through my room to get there. And I say, man, I should become a janitor. Girls be calling my name all the time. (laughs) And he laughs, but all these other people would just be like, the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) And, you know, that's just the natural bent of my thought processes. But to have a naturally accepted way of expressing that is a privilege for males to just be able to say shit like that. If I were a dude and I said that to Tabo, all the guys in the room would be laughing. Yes. Yep. It's a strange thing. It is. So You don't consider it a privilege because that's not your natural <laughs> inclination. <laughs> well, uh, well, you know, I don't know. It's interesting because I was thinking, I was trying to think of something to say for this podcast other than, yes, it's a thing. <laughs> And I was looking back on, you know, trying to think of examples of particular stories and things like that. And I'm a fairly oblivious person anyway. And so a lot of times I we'll, mean... We'll vouch for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you guys can agree to, to that. I, I dated this guy for five months. I will be happy to admit he is totally oblivious. I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and, and, and it's true. And so there's a lot of times that I think that I really just didn't notice it before. There are other times that I did. I mean, there's certain things that you do do differently. Like uh, the guy mentioned on the, that you do do the do do do. <laughs> but the guy mentioned on the one article, you know, things like just walking home at night alone, something that I used to do, but I did pay attention because I knew that I quote unquote shouldn't be. And now, like you said, other people cross the street to get out of my way. And this was an article that we were looking at a little while ago. And that- it will have just been posted prior to this episode dropping. As you are listening, if you are listening, the links to these articles have recently been posted on our social media. So look us up on Tumblr or Facebook, and we'll probably put a link in the show notes also. Right. So, so lawyer friend, you know, you, we've been talking about you know, the vast differences between presenting as female versus presenting as, as male. And I said, does that mess with your head? Can you talk a bit, little bit about that? You know, it used to. What used to really amaze me was when I did play on the hockey team. And, you know, we all obviously had the same uniforms. And eventually you get all in all your gear. And you can't tell one person from another practically anyway. So it happened, not all the time, but on a somewhat regular basis, that the other team members wouldn't realize I was there. Because they just, they literally did think I was one of the other guys. Because you can't recognize somebody right right off the bat when you got the full face mask, blah, blah, blah. And just the difference in how they interacted with each other when they didn't think any females were present was really astounding to me to just to see how much men change their behavior based on whether they think a female is present or not was really amazing. And they, they, have, they don't even consider that why they change their behavior. No. And that, that is a privilege. You don't have to consider that. Wow. Yeah, it's, Women it's have sort to of like that. All the time we I, always I do, that. and it doesn't matter whether we're around other women or other men or whatever. There is an implicit expectation that we are consistently policing our behavior, or else somebody else will start policing it for us. Which is why you, as an attorney at a deposition, had to be so polite, right? Because and that was exactly like just said. There was no way, as a female, I could have got up and said, "Frank, move your ass," because that would have gone over like a fart in church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So I did what I did, which was I indirectly, you know, went about it. And we all had a good laugh when Frank called me out on it, actually, Mm -hmm. about how absurd that was Mm -hmm. to have to do it that way. Mm -hmm. The difference in how men interact with each other when they don't think a female is present is kind of, in a way, they're sort of self-policing also their behavior because of how also men are expected to act towards women. Because they never treated me that way, the way they treated each other. Like you said, your neighbor starts giving you shit right away, oh, yeah. but would never, ever do that right. to Jess. And same thing when they knew I was present and they were talking to me or whatever, then it was definitely a different treatment. Well, thinking of that, when you and I were first getting ready to move in together and you were moving out of the house that you were living in when we first met, yeah, your male neighbor who had known you all this time as a butch dyke. Yes. And as the man in your previous relationship. And can you hear the air quotes around that? (laughs) You know, because everybody tends to associate in queer relationships that there will be a more masculine and a more feminine partner, regardless of whether or not that is actually the case. He saw you as, quote, the man. And so when you told him you were moving, he says, oh, you dick. No, what? What happened is I didn't tell him, and there was a sign outside that the realtor came and put while we were gone or something, and when I came out, he he called me a SOB or something, and I was like, wow, I never get that. I, I mean, I felt actually kind of privileged that, that he was being honest enough with me, but it was because he's like... You can't even fucking tell me, right, you bastard. <laughs> yeah, he was just giving you shit because he saw you as a masculine person. Yeah, and he did. And I was like, wow, that's cool. You know? Well, like like you yeah. said, you felt privileged that he that I, he said that, actually, that he treated you that way and that he was honest with you. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of my first inklings that you might be heading towards transition. Ah. Which... <laughs> the fact that that didn't piss you off. No, the fact that he saw that as such a validation as of As a validation, his, right. Yeah. It's not just that it didn't piss you off. Yeah, it was, it, was it was a validating right. experience for him. I was like, ah, oh, he's a dude. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think we've discussed this before about how because I had just broken up with you previously mm-hmm. and I was still thinking, like, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I expecting my partner to be a trans guy? She's not a trans guy. She's not. Oh, I guess he is. <laughs> <laughs> well... You have another... We just didn't know it at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I had known it a long time before. He had, had and that's the thing. He had known... our Jesus friend about it probably a year or so before that, saying, well, I had thought about transitioning, but I just never got to it, and I wasn't sure if it was really going to work for me. Mm-hmm. And we, we had had a conversation about oh, it. Okay. I remember you saying, I would be a very short guy, and that could be a problem. It would have been when I was younger, maybe. But as an older guy, nobody cares. I'm just an old guy. You know, yes. old, short guy. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. I was thinking about that today. I went shopping for work clothes and I actually saw a guy that was shorter than me, which is unusual. So I was like, wow, look at that. He was an old guy. And I thought to myself, well, nobody cares because he's old. And I'm in a way glad that I was 30 when I transitioned. So I wasn't real old. I'm in a way sort of glad I didn't transition when I was real young because there's a certain competition and all of that that goes on that now young guys don't see me as their competition and don't have anything to prove. Yeah. You also though have always been kind of a curmudgeon. And so even though you were only 30, you were clearly just a middle-aged guy. That's what we said earlier when I said, how was your New Year's? And you said quiet and that you were too old for that. And I said, so just wondering, have you always been too old? (laughs) For all those parties and things, and you said, "Yep, yes, yep, absolutely, <laughs> yep." So, since he was about seventeen, probably, 
<laughs> I was over that from the very beginning. So yeah, that that is kind of a different thing. The age thing does have to do with it, but I I still wish I was taller. I have to admit. <laughs> but that aside, so I don't I don't have even without the tall male privilege. I'll still say that the male privilege is still definitely even a short guy is privileged in ways that tell us. Well, the treatment's definitely. Different. We'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no-derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less-than-complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening! When I'm recording with Jess and she's talking and I'm going to cough for or something I have to say hey you know sticking my hand up so although a lot, of, a lot of the time lately you've had to sniffle and you haven't waited and I, so I'll be in the middle of a <laughs> sentence and <laughs> I can't cut it yeah I have to pay attention to that so George tell us about your breakfast real quick breakfast I had the rest of a baked potato for breakfast you did okay mm-hmm. stand up for a second sit Tell us more about your breakfast. What did you put on the baked potato? I put the nut butter that you gave me out of the fridge. Okay, good. Earthbound. Ah, yes. Tell me about your breakfast. I have my usual smoothie, yogurt, pineapple. The heater kicked on again. It does that, though, for a second. I don't know why. Hmm. So, my usual smoothie. Okay. Tell me about your breakfast. I had dark chocolate Dutch sprinkles on bread. It was fantastic. (laughs) You talk really soft. Where do you get Yes, I do. Dark chocolate Dutch um, world market. My mom was didn't know that was a food. Yeah, there it's it's a wonderful thing. I don't know why we don't do it in America. It would only make us three times fatter than we already are. <laughs> okay. There's so many places in the world they bake bread for breakfast every day. Yeah, so it's just a piece of bread that you put butter on and it's like chocolate sprinkles kinda of like you put on a cake basically. Yeah. Yes, thank yeah. you for taking off the jingle collar. And it okay. goes wonderful with coffee. So I'm Jess, you're George. You're the Jesus friend and you're the lawyer friend, right? Okay. The Jesus friend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I identify less and less with that, with that I, moniker. I you know? know, I know. Mm. But that's how that's you okay. were previously... A, a, I'm all right with it. Yes, okay. Introduced. Yes. So, three seconds of silence, and then are we ready to go, dear? <clears throat> sure. All right. Hi, I'm Jess. <laughs> <laughs>